schneller, schneller als gedacht. Abrupt climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our Earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Episode 7 about melting Arctic, Gulf Stream and severe weather. In this episode I hold an interview with Paul Beckwith. Thanks to Laura Upshaw for African Rundance on YouTube. In this episode I have the pleasure to present an interview with Paul Beckwith. He's one of the leading experts in abrupt climate change. In my view, he is a genius at explaining very complex issues in an understandable way. Very fast changes in the Arctic lead to climate chaos and even to changes of ocean currents. What are the consequences for weather patterns in Western Europe? My name is Wolfgang Werminghausen. This is the first and only podcast in Germany on abrupt climate change leading to near-term human extinction. I'm producing alternating English and German episodes. So please share this with your German friends. Schneller als gedacht can be translated into faster than thought. Paul Beckwith introduces himself. I'm a part-time professor in the laboratory of paleoclimatology in the geography department at the University of Ottawa. I've taught many courses including climatology, meteorology, oceanography and the geography of environmental issues. My research work in my PhD program is abrupt climate system change in the past and the present to determine what will happen in the near future. I'm very active on educating the public about the grave danger that we face from abrupt climate change using primarily videos and blogs and public talks. Paul is a father, a long-time husband, an avid cottager and boater, and an ambitious chess player. He is proclaiming a climate emergency and calls for immediate action to prevent us from total overheating of our planet. He is often cited by Guy McPherson, who has a different opinion in this context. For Guy, we are far beyond lots of tipping points to have any chance to influence the climate change sustainable and prevent us from short-term human extinction. Until now, Paul and Guy had not had this dispute in public. I'm thinking about if I feel able to broach this issue in a future podcast episode. If you hear me talking about abrupt climate change leading to near-term human extinction, you may recognize where I position myself. Now please enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Paul. I'm honored to have you in my podcast interview. You are one of the main thinkers in, in terms of abrupt climate change. Many thanks. Thank you. It's a pleasure to uh, to chat with you today. Sorry, maybe as a psychologist, I'm tending to questions like the following. In different professions, people have different habits and different ways of thinking. You are an engineer and a physicist. I know some engineers from a computer job in a kind of a temporary employment agency for engineers. Engineers tend to think and communicate very practical. 
aim oriented, more based on experience than theory. What is the problem? How can I fix it? Years ago, I learned to know a physicist working at DESI in Hamburg, one of these circles to accelerate particles. He was very wide interested and he had a very abstract way of thinking, dealing with things I couldn't imagine. Where do you position yourself? Well, I'm, uh, I am a very uh, technical thinker. Um, as you say, with my engineering training, um, it's all about understanding problems and solving problems and applying um, as much, you know, sort of science and knowledge on how systems work, how things work. And of course, science is, you know, can go all the way from uh, theoretical science to uh, very practical science. Of course, the most practical science, I guess, would merge with engineering. So um, I do uh, think those ways, but I've also been working in many other fields that are non-engineering and non-science. So I also come at things differently from that. I was out in industry for many years, so I haven't been um, pegged into, say, an engineer or a science, you know, the academic science community. Um, I'm kind of a mixture of all of these things, and I try to look at the climate um, as a system And um, I think there's a lot of I think there's too much specialty in the in academia. There's not enough um, communication from, say, a glaciologist to an atmospheric physicist to, mm. you know, a, 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 a overall, you know, oceanographer, for example. Like there's not enough communication. So people look at their specialty areas and. Scientists are notorious for not wanting to comment outside of their immediate area of specialty. So um, this is a this is a problem. I think we need more people that look at the overall system, uh, especially as far as climate change is concerned. Um, I also I'm very interested in the psychology mm -hmm. of it. Um, it. You know, it's very difficult to understand how humanity is really failing to recognize the enormous risks that we uh, have from climate change um, and the concepts of abrupt climate change are, are uh, not discussed or, or talked about enough, um, even among scientists. Okay, teacher might be important for you as well. Let's talk with the generalists now. Um, climate and Climate change has very much to do with the Arctic, with melting of the Arctic sea ice, with Greenland's ice cap, with feedback loops, with release of methane, with the coming Blue Sea event, and so on. Would you please give us a short introduction? If it's yes, possible. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, the elevator pitch, if you like. Um, I'll try to keep it short, but... It basically, um, the we've changed the chemistry of the atmosphere and the oceans with our fossil fuel emissions. So the fossil fuel emissions and the changing land use patterns, mostly reducing vegetation on the surface of the planet, um, has caused a large rise in 
CO2 levels in the atmosphere, also methane is going up, also nitrous oxide, the most powerful greenhouse gases. And the, of course, the CO2 in the atmosphere um, exchanges with the oceans and leads to the ocean acidification. But in terms of uh, the, the Earth is actually, um, think of it as a uh, thermo, like as a sort of heat engine and Heat always wants to move from warm areas to cold areas, and the warm areas are the equatorial areas, and the cold areas are the poles. So heat moves from the equator to the Arctic, to the North Pole, for example. And because of the rotation of the Earth, the the atmosphere, um, in the atmosphere and oceans, you get a deflection. Um, so you don't get just a straight movement of the heat in a straight line from the equator to the Arctic, it curves to the right in the northern hemisphere. And it forms the jet streams in the atmosphere, and it forms the ocean currents. Um, and about two-thirds of the heat is transferred via the atmosphere, about a third by the oceans. That's because the air is obviously moving a lot faster than the, uh, than the water because it's a much lower density. So a lot of heat has been... So the, the problem in the Arctic is this excess heat is melting the sea ice and melting the uh, snow cover. So th- both of these things are declining on an exponential basis. Um, since we've had satellites in, in the late 70s, we can monitor um, the the uh, surface, like the uh, ice area and extent very accurately. And we've seen a, a, a sharp decline in uh, the sea ice area, the extent of the ice, the volume of the ice, all the things we measure on the ice, and also the snow covering the land in the, mostly in the spring has shown an ex- a large exponential decline. So this makes the Arctic a lot darker. Um, it's a lot darker, so it absorbs more sunlight um, in, in the summer months, and this causes more Arctic uh, ice, sea ice melting, so then it exposes more dark areas, and then you get a vicious uh, feedback loop. This is known as the albedo feedback loop. There's another very powerful feedback loop, and that is that it takes a lot of energy to melt ice, to change it from the solid form to to liquid water. And when, the, when there's less ice to melt, then that energy will go into heating the water instead. So as we get less and less ice, the water temperature gets higher and higher, which again leads to more melting. So there's a very um, there, there's a risk this summer that by mid-September we'll mm-hmm. have almost no sea ice in the Arctic. May not happen this year, but the trend is um, definitely to to this sort of blue ocean situation where there's no sea ice in the Arctic. You know, if it doesn't happen this year, maybe next year, certainly before 2020 is is very likely. And then the problem is, is that the uh, the temperature difference between the equator and the Arctic determines the uh, jet streams, um, the high altitude um, wind circulation in the, uh, you know, we know as the jet streams and they slow down and therefore become wavier. And, you know, as the Arctic is rapidly warming relative to the equator and it is these extreme um, swings in in uh, the waves of the jet stream going very far north, very far south. These waves, the the uh, that that cause 
um, that lead to all of these extreme weather events that we're seeing, like the, the frequency, the severity and the duration of these extreme weather events like torrential rains, um, droughts in other places uh, gets gets worse and worse. So, okay, and ben? and I I mean I didn't talk about methane, but um, oh, yes, of course you know as the Arctic is warming, the there's lots of organic material in the permafrost, and as that uh, permafrost thaws, then the organic matter that was frozen before is now um, not frozen and therefore is can be broken down by bacteria. Uh, if there's oxygen available, it produces CO2. And if it, if there's not much oxygen available, like in the bottom of a, of a marshland or swamp, for example, then methane is produced. And then that goes into the atmosphere. And that's a very, um, very powerful greenhouse gas. So there's also, um, the, what are known as methane class rates, which are, um, methane that is frozen in place by water, a water, a crystal, a crystal cage of water, if you like, around it. Mm. And this is both in the, this is in the sediments in the seafloor. And, uh, as the water temperature over the continental shelves in the Arctic, like the East Siberian Arctic shelf, as that water warms up, it thaws the sediments and we get methane release. So, so there's a lots of methane there. Um, that the amount of methane in the atmosphere is about five gigatons and if only one percent of the methane you know near the surface in the arctic was released and that would double the co double the methane concentration um in the atmosphere almost you know with like in a very short period of time and that would cause a great acceleration or an abrupt warming so so you need to look at the overall system and the overall system is rapidly changing towards a um, Arctic with with uh, very little sea ice in the summers. Okay, thank you. That was really, really clear and brief um, introduction. And now let's concentrate on one, of course, big region, the Atlantic Ocean, and one of the big ocean currents, the Gulf Stream. This system is also called AMOC, Atlantic Meridional Overturning Circulation, if I uh, pronounce it right. Um, yes. It's not so easy to explain this in an audio podcast, but let's try it. Maybe we will have some slides in YouTube, in a YouTube version, but there will be links to maps and other graphics in the show notes on my website, xwer.de, xwer.de. D-E. By the way, Paul's website with very, very much information, videos and so on is paulbeckwith, one word, dot net. Okay, Gulfstream. How is it working and what are the changes that can be observed by now? Okay, so um, when we talked about the atmospheric circulation, of heat um we talk the main important thing is the jet streams right and in the ocean it's the uh the ocean currents so this um amoc um or the moc is the meridional overturning circulation pattern it's also called thermohaline circulation because 
it's um, it moves because of differences in temperature, the thermal part, and differences in hailing, which is the salt mm-hmm. part, salt concentration. So the heaviest water would be cold versus cold cold water. Warm warm air floats rises. Cold water sinks. Warm water floats on the surface. If the water is very warm, um, then you get a layer on the surface, um, a uh, and you get a very strong thermocline. So the water is very warm. You go down, and then suddenly it gets very very cold at the thermocline. Now, when you mm-hmm. add salt, it adds another element in there because the salt uh, um, salt is of course heavier than water. So when you uh, replace some of the water molecules by salt molecules. It makes the you get the seawater, which is heavier, it's denser. So the heaviest water would be cold, salty water. The lightest water would be warm, fresh water. You do get situations where the water is very cold, um, but it's fresh. So that water is actually denser than water that can be warmer and salty depends on the salt concentration in the ocean it's typically about three and a half uh, percent or something salt so what happens uh what drives these ocean circulation patterns is if we start at the gulf stream the gulf stream is moving north off of the east coast of the u.s and then it curves across to europe and it delivers tremendous amounts of heat both to western europe and the arctic yes it's um, coming from what, the what, caribbean sea Yes, coming from yes. from lower latitudes, and what happens is that the as the water as this water from the Gulf Stream moves up into the Arctic, then it gets colder, and it is salty, so it gets it's heavy, so it starts sinking down to the bottom, and especially as the sea ice, when ice forms in the ocean, it rejects a lot of the salt. So, first year ice. Um, it's not completely fresh, um, but it's got maybe 10, maybe, maybe uh, 1% salt as opposed to 3.5% salt of the seawater. You get the salt trapped in these brine pockets in the ice. As the ice ages, these brine pockets work mm-hmm. their way out of the ice. So the older the ice, the less salt it will have. But what happens is when the sea ice is melting, then it's putting a lot of fresh water on the surface. Um, it, and that fresh water is is uh, is is um, because it's fresh. It's lighter. Um, it is cold, but it's it's um, basically the density is lower than that water that is coming up from the Gulf Stream that is salty and cooling as it moves into the Arctic. So the water from the Gulf Stream then starts to sink down to the bottom of the ocean floor and starts moving southward to. Re- to to complete the loop and this is in the northern hemisphere it's also happening in the southern hemisphere so as the um as the ocean currents on the surface move towards antarctica they cool down um they meet that fresh water from the uh, around antarctica from the sea ice and they descend down around antarctica and so you get you get this is the um known as meridional um, overturning circulation. It's meridional. Meridional just means north-south or south-north as opposed to zonal, which means west-to-east or east-to-west. Mm-hmm. Um, and overturning means that the water, as it moves southward along the surface, as it moves towards the pole along the surface, it then gets denser 
as it cools and it's salty, so it sinks down to the bottom of the ocean. So it overturns, it's overturning. So this um, is very important for for bringing for the ocean because nutrients. Um, one thing it does is it brings down water that is oxygenated from the surface down lower, um, bringing oxygen down there, allowing allowing uh, fish to, to to live, and also it brings up nutrients. So the part that rises up to the surface brings up nutrients, which is important for phytoplankton. So this is a whole process, um, and it's, of course, very important. Um, it, you know, it's a very important system for transferring heat from the equator to the poles. Um, and as long as you have that temperature difference where the equator is much warmer than the Arctic, for example, then, like I said, you'll get about two-thirds of the heat is carried from the equator to the Arctic via the um, atmospheric circulation and one third via the ocean circulation. So mm-hmm. because the Arctic is warming, you know, it's undergoing this huge temperature amplification, then there's less heat transferred from the equator to the Arctic. And so that changes the nature of the jet streams. They become wavier and cause the extreme weather events. It also slows down the ocean circulation. Um, so less heat is brought across to Europe, and what we're seeing actually is because of the melt of water off Greenland, which is accelerating, we're getting, we have this cold pool of water that is south of Greenland, and this pool of water is on the surface, and it can interfere with the Gulf Stream. In fact, what we're seeing is the Gulf Stream um, becomes jammed up in a way. Um, it, it, it's more difficult for it to make it across um, to the up into the Arctic, it's more in, difficult for it to make it across to Europe, and and it either has to you know find a different route or it goes underneath the um, melt the fresh melt water from Greenland and then comes up through it. And you can actually, if you go to Earth Null School and uh, which is a great website, and and just have a look at ocean ocean currents, um, find the menus for ocean currents. You can see how parts of the Gulf Stream cut through um, this cold water region south of Greenland, and parts some of it goes underneath and then comes up, you know, to the surface and then goes back underneath and so on. So what we're seeing mm-hmm. is a restructuring of the circulation patterns of both the atmosphere and the ocean, all due to uh, the in, the huge warming in the Arctic changing the um, temperature distribution uh, on the Earth. Looks on these maps really crashed, the temperature patterns. Is it so huge, the change? Well, well, it's um, the change is it's it's ongoing today. Um, and as the Arctic continues to lose sea ice and snow cover, um, it will become um, much, much worse. I mean, we're not we're not in any state of stability right now. A couple of the things um, that have happened is about um, 2010, 2011, it appeared that the Gulf Stream um, slowed down uh, significantly for a period of time. And. During that period of time, 
a lot of water, warm water piled up off the east coast of the U.S., so it overrode the continental shelves, and it caused very large temperature uh, anomalies in the, um, you know, off areas like off New York, off areas up to mm-hmm. Maine and uh, up to Canada. And it caused a sea level rise in that region because warm water expands. So the, the sea level off the coast, the eastern coast of the U.S. from about New York north northward was, was higher by something like 125 millimeters over that time period that the, the Gulf Stream was kind of choked off. Um, that's one of the things that, that was seen. Um, of course, it affected the fish. It affected um, the, the uh, you know, the, the like, like people that were scuba diving off Maine, for example, reported that the water was about five degrees Celsius warmer than normal in the mm-hmm. areas that they dove off, off Maine. So that was, that was, um, so there are fluctuations in the, um, in the ocean currents. And I mentioned that the, this cold, pool of water south of Greenland has been a persistent feature um, for, for uh, you know, at least a few years. Um, and this could be a very, you know, a very dire sign that the entire Gulf Stream is, is about to, uh, you know, could perhaps uh, basically sh- rearrange. Um, so instead of going so far north, um, you could start getting the overturning you know, much lower latitudes. Um, and as it's like, I guess the thing is, is, you know, where is the climate system going? Uh, what do we know from the paleo records? Um, you know, where, where will abrupt climate change take us? Because it, it basically, when you talk of an abrupt change, it's a very nonlinear change from one state to another state. So the state, um, you know, the first the, the state where it was was our you know stable climate system that that we've been used to. So what's the state where where it could be heading? And that state could be argued to be you know a state where the the average temperature on the planet is much much warmer. You know, call it two, three, five degrees. Um, you know, much much warmer. Um, it would be a state where there's no um, first of all, like, like, like the scenario that I see with the Arctic sea ice is, you know, let's say we have this blue ocean event. What will happen, um, as we lose sea ice? So it could have, we could have this blue ocean event, um, you know, as early as this coming September. Mm-hmm. Um, but it depends a lot on weather conditions in the Arctic, namely how much ice is exported through the Fram Strait, which runs between Greenland and Svalbard. So if there's lots of export, then this blue ocean is much more likely this year. Um, if the conditions do not export so much ice in, say, J- July, August, then there could still be sea ice left. Uh, but let's say for the sake of argument that it happened, um, you know, before 2020 or say in 2020. So no ice in the Arctic Ocean um, in September. That state might exist for maybe a few weeks to a month. Um, so the ice refreeze in the winter will be less, it'll be thinner, weaker, you know, uh, throughout the, uh, the, the ice freezing season will shorten. So there'll be less ice to begin, uh, the following winter, you know, there'll be some variation from year to year, like it's not completely going in one direction, but probably within 
two or three years of the first blue ocean event, there'll be the duration of no sea ice in the Arctic could be several months. Um, and within a decade or so, it could be year round um, if the feedbacks are strong enough, especially if methane is coming up. So in that case, we're heading to a much, much warmer Arctic uh, year round and therefore a much lower temperature gradient to the equator and therefore, you know, a much different pattern of jet streams and ocean currents um, on the planet. Um, so and of course, if that happens, then the, the Greenland melt will be greatly accelerated because it will be much warmer over that continent and uh, the sea level rise will will uh, greatly accelerate also. Um, you know, the sea level rise is already accelerating um, from increased um, melt rates in mm -hmm. both Greenland and Antarctica. So so you have to really, you know, look at the whole the whole climate system. Schneller als gedacht. Many thanks to Paul Beckwith for his interview. To Lisa White and David Gorn for their professional support. To Laura Upshaw for African Drum Dance on YouTube. In the second part of this interview, I will talk with Paul Beckwith about weather extremes in Western Europe, big numbers and dealing with this dire situation emotionally. 